Welcome to the Room of Lives. I'm your host, Neil. In this episode, my friend Benam, who is a classical violinist and music producer, describes how he learned much about music in his own way. At an early age, Benam knew clearly that he just liked some sounds and not others, but he didn't understand why. He describes how he then extended his subjective musical sense which was somewhat unique and atypical, by learning more about musical form and theory and thinking about the ways to assign parts to an orchestra. yourself music theory and orchestration so yeah yeah um well so that kind of goes goes back to um something we were talking about with the um example driven um experimental like why do i need to know this sort of purpose thing um basically what happened with with trying to teach myself music is is um and this is something that I think is so interesting because everyone's always like, oh, how do I like write my own songs? Or, or, or they have that same approach to any other domain of knowledge and, and or yeah. not any other domain. This was maybe, this would, I would narrow it down to artistic or creative endeavors that are a little bit more um, subjective. Yeah. Um, what I noticed uh, first, and, and this is just like the thing that started it all, is like I liked some sounds more than others. I would listen to something and I'd be like, I hate that. That just sounds bad. Yeah. Um, no idea why. No idea why. You mean just particular tones or pieces of music, like whole pieces of music? All, all, all of it. Tones, music. Some, like sometimes it would be like yeah. half of a melody. I would be like listening to like, yeah. I don't know, some song. I'd be like, the first half of this melody rocks. And I, they, I would yeah. hear a note and be like, that's dumb. I hate that. I just, and, and this I, is just, this is produced music that, that everyone listens to. Yeah, like right? CCR, Beatles. I'd be like, this Beatles okay. song is so nice. So this is something that's kind of exceptional then. Because I well, bet no one else feels this way. I'm or at least the majority of the population doesn't. Well, so I think yeah. I think the majority of the population is waiting for someone else to decide for them what which parts should be good and which parts shouldn't be. And to me, it was just like I really didn't care. I was yeah. I was I was just like I had this visceral visceral yeah. reaction. And and that's not to say that I had a developed aesthetic. I didn't. Yeah. Like like these were these were like incipient toddler toddler esque aesthetic. Yeah. Desires. I see. Like I'd be like you yeah. know I would just ride that one note for like three minutes if I could like, yeah. this part sounds great yeah um, and then there would be this visceral reaction to it yeah like you didn't have any choice about it well I mean I didn't think I did you know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Kid, okay. free will what is that um, yeah, yeah yeah but but that's that's what I think made it easy to write is because there was some stuff I liked some stuff I didn't like and so I was like I'm just gonna write something that only has the stuff that I like in it yeah <laughs> 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 like this is, this is straightforward right yeah um i mean what happens there pretty soon is you get bored um, yeah because i like three things right like you know 
what's happening to each other. I'm like, this actually. Well, oh, I would still be interested to hear that, just to just to see what what you were selecting for. I have I've got like uh, I don't have so I um I lost all of my music before 2014 because I got my laptop stolen uh, oh. the day before I was about to move to San Francisco and it had my it was in a backpack with my backup drive because I was like living on someone's couch. Yeah. Um, so I think I have there's there's some early stuff floating around. Um, I think the earliest stuff I'd be able to scrounge with now is from when I was like 11 or 12. Um, but they mostly, what was interesting is, is, is looking back now, I can definitely see um, where my conceptual shortcomings were. Um, there was, to me, I was kind of uninterested in form, like mm. the structure of the piece, I didn't really care. Um, I, was, I was very melody driven. Yeah. Um, I think that was exacerbated by the fact that I only played a melodic instrument. Um, what, what instrument? Violin. Right, Rather right. It's it's you. You primarily, you're playing one line almost always, um, unless it's a virtuoso piece. So so it's. It's not. I, I wasn't getting exposed in my practice to, um, harmonies uh, or or what it feels like, say you play piano to have a melody on top of an ostinato, and and great composers of course will have those two things work in tandem with each other. So you're you're getting trained on that specific type of motion that you would emulate, in your own compositions if you were a piano player. Mm. Um, but there are a couple of concepts here that I don't understand. So I, I just want to clarify them first before we move on. When you said that um, you didn't at first care much for the form, mm -hmm. the structure, in my head I was thinking the whole sequence of a song, like a verse, chorus, bridge, kind of thing. Is that what you're talking about or something yeah, else? Yeah, that would be a form. Most, yeah. most, of, my, most of my early compositions uh, took form in a uh, theme of variation style. So I basically would have the same bass line, which yeah. is kind of like having the same four chords. Yeah. Um, I would pick I'd pick a chord progression I liked, and then I would just evolve the melody over that. Yeah. Um, and that was it. It didn't, yeah. it didn't really have, in uh, that way it was kind of um, ambling. It, it didn't yeah. have, it didn't yeah. have a, um, a shape. I see. Because well, yeah, well, well formed. Yeah, um, yeah. So if you, if you, um, if you, let's say, um, chopped it down into little bits, like little sequences, they would all sound pleasant. But if you put them all together, they wouldn't be making one big story with a, I exactly. see. Okay. See, I mean, this is just like a layperson's way of trying to understand what you're saying. Mm -hmm. And when you say that the violin is a melodic instrument, could you unpack that a little bit more? Um, so it's, it's just not naturally built uh, or played in a way that that requires this greater structure or what is that what is that um so i can i can maybe make that more clear by contrasting it to other instruments um yeah so you take drums yeah that is a rhythmic instrument if you've got um a timpani if you've got a drum kit these are all it's very very difficult to to develop a sense of melody yeah on, uh, with, with the, the percussion instrument. that's not to say it's not possible and then there are like pitch percussion like marimbas or xylophones that they are melodic instruments there um, yeah so that's different um but, but yeah so that'd be an example of, of an instrument that if you played a lot wouldn't naturally make you tend to think in melodies and, and by yeah. melodies i mean the way you would sing something yeah someone's just in the shower yeah, you know? yeah. Um, and then you have something like uh guitar which is kind of like a happy medium because i I mean, classical guitarists can can fill you know all the different voices and like 
piece of Bach or, or this or that, but it's often strummed. And strum yeah. guitar is very rhythmic. It's chordal as well. So, so mm. you get harmonies, you get chord progressions that maybe lack or would tend to lack in a novice hands uh, much voice leading. Voice leading we can talk about more. Um, and whereas the violin, the, the idiom of the instrument, the way it's set up, doesn't lend itself towards playing chords. Because yeah. without, without rolling, uh, the bow you can only really play two notes at a time, um, and you can you can you can sometimes play three notes, but it, it uh, the violin is not uh, is not as inclined to rhythm either. In that the bow uh, is designed for sustained sound. That's why it's as long yeah. as it is, right? Yeah. Um, and so so it it can get articulated strokes, and that's that's something that you have to learn to acquire and master. But it's 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 difficult and. Um, you won't find the same resonance that you would with a sustained sound. Like like everything about the violin is designed for that sustained sound. Yeah. Or at least a lot of violin. So yeah, that's that's sort of what I mean. So it's so like all the repertoire that you play um, as a fiddler is, is the melody usually. Um, yeah. If you go to a violin recital, there's always a pianist. Yeah. Uh, because they're playing the harmonies. Yeah. So I guess um, we got a little sidetracked there. When we were talking about. Um, in your early adventures in creating music, you had this very selective bias towards certain kinds of uh, melody. And then looking back, you said that they lacked form and structure. Right, right. Yeah. And, and it, was, it was also interesting to see what my influences were. Like, I played a lot of video games growing up. Yeah. Um, so a lot of that sort of, like, um, 8-bit sound you would associate with, like, Final Fantasy. Or, or like, the, the, that was what was in my ear. That's what I was drawing from. I see. I so you, you weren't, like, doing this, hey, let's make a cool video game kind of... It was just... It was just happening. It was just happening. <laughs> that, that was my vocabulary. That was all I yeah. was exposed to. See, because these days, if you made a YouTube video of playing a violin to reproduce, like, 8-bit sounds, it would become a thing. Probably. But Probably. you were not making a thing at that time. It was just the way that... It was completely unconscious. <laughs> yeah. I um, see. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the early stuff, it, it, and then there would be, there would be, um, and so that, that created problems because I would like the yeah. first sound, I would like the second sound, and I could hear that they just kind of were disjointed. And I was like, what I don't have yeah. are the compositional chops to weave these two ideas together. Yeah. Um, whether that's to modulate from one key to another, whether that's to, to lead smoothly just in the voicing yeah. so that it doesn't like jump. So there's not like, you know, like a, a splice you don't hear that um and so this this is when um i started to kind of hit a wall a little bit yeah um, and had to had to like start digging uh, because I, I yeah i just it was no longer yeah wait how old were you at this time um so so what i'm thinking of is is when i was about 13 ish i was my, my obsession at the time was to write a violin um, and I had I had this melody that just like I could not get out of my head, but it was like you know a two bar melody, and, and it just yeah. would just roll, roll, roll. And it was, yeah. it was, um, I had like I had a, a pattern underneath it that I knew I would like in the piano, and I had sort of a B theme, and I like you know I had like a, a bit of a sketch, and and, yeah. and absolutely no technique to to expand it, yeah. um, to take those ideas, and um, well like like one of one of the most interesting things is to try and, and take your initial idea deconstruct it find its components and then then um vary it um rework it elongate it you yeah. know play it backwards retrograde inverted yeah. this that these are all ways to to expand on an idea and have it 
be cohesive and coherent yeah, and make like a full piece of music with right right variations yeah yeah um, and so, so yeah so then then i um yeah so that year that i dropped out of school is when i started to get more um i think i was spending more of my time because i had more time writing music i uh before i finished that violin concerto um well i'm trying to remember if this is right because i had a solid eight minutes of that piece by fall of that year so so i had, I had made some ground i was i was working on it yeah um, even even my sophomore year in high school um i had started to read uh this book called uh schoenberg's theory of harmony uh schoenberg was the guy who destroyed classical music for the 20th century what do you mean like he sat on it he um he is credited with the um uh invention of atonal music ah that fucker yeah ah. yeah <laughs> exactly okay. um I, see. I mean music scholars can argue a lot more in depth about mm. who who actually is to blame for the degradation <laughs> of harmony <laughs> um and, and, and who, who is more just on, on the bandwagon um but he the reason uh i got his book is, is because he had every right to come up with his own sense of tonality because he basically mastered what was conventional harmony um you, you listen to his early compositions from like the late 18th gorgeous they're they're, yeah. they're just comprehensive like master classes and this is how we do tonal stuff um <laughs> uh, and so drops the mic <laughs> drops the mic <laughs> yeah um, so he, he did his own thing and, and so he has he was uh he spent most of his life teaching music theory at ucla hmm. um and so he that's that was like his shtick was to think about this stuff teach it and, and so i got his book i started reading it it's an awful read but so interesting hmm. um because it's translated from German, and I was like, I was just super. What did you say it. was the name again? Um, Schoenberg's theory of harmony. Okay. Yeah, Arnold Sch- Schoenberg. Mm. You say it. Schoenberg. Mm. Um, uh, so I started to read that, and that that piqued my interest, and then I. Um, so he wrote this in German. Yeah, it was it was written initially. In so German. you read a, a read translation. Uh, translation. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. The way I, the way it was pretty clear that it was originally in German is the sentences were prohibitively long sometimes yeah just, um, and yeah so then my year off uh because i was spending most of my time practicing at texas tech university which is the, the school in lubbock um i asked one of the music theory teachers there if i could audit her her first year music theory course um so i just sat in the back you know 15 year old shit and <laughs> take notes leave <laughs> yeah um, didn't do the homework uh, yeah. which is great um and so that that was really interesting because at that point, by that point, I was. Um, is this the year that I did that? No, it's not. Um, at that point, I had, I had basically developed in my mind a conception of of how music worked harmonically, mm. melodically. I had these ideas mm. that that had really not been populated by anything. Um, certified yeah um, um, or in the canonical music theory so so in my mind um, just to give you an example uh, for the music nerds out there like to me everything seemed to revolve around this sense of the leading tone or the half step so so when when you um, uh, like have a cadence uh, which I have here damn it um, do you have anything else yeah okay. okay I'll say I mean do you have a guitar around I 
finger is currently fractured. I'm responsible to some extent for that. <laughs> so Benam and I went on Thursday evening to this social bike ride. <laughs> and no sooner had we left for adventure. Just down the street, we t- I, I take this turn and Benam is supposed to be behind me. But I hear this loud noise and I turn back and Benam is sprawled on this little, just in the middle of the street. And he sits up. And, um, yeah, well, anyway, we later find out that his finger is fractured. So, his hand is in a cast right now. Not a, not a full cast, I think it's just got a stint in there. Sorry, I just have to wash my hands. Yeah. And so, oh, you took it off? Yeah. And it's just, okay. this one is just there to keep me from moving. Yeah. So, I just went with it. So, uh. He's going to try his best to play the, the violin. Um, yeah, so leading tone. Yeah. So if I hear like... Uh, like I know they're like kind of, they're leaning yeah. into each other. They're going in a swift way. And to my, to my ear, what seemed to be the most um, integral component of that was this half-step relationship between two notes which two as well you need to give me context Uh, yeah so 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 if i hear so to me it felt like they were like there was like this gravity this this like this um force pulling them together and so so if uh if i wanted to exploit that i could by doing something like uh So you hear those, that's like, we just went somewhere completely different. The reason that's yeah. okay is because it was using that same idea on the lower note. So instead, before we had this, uh, where the, the lowest most note jumped, it leaped forward. But in my mind, I was like, well, there's this weird thing going on over here. So that probably applies anytime you've got a note. It could, it could be tugged up, it could be down sort you're, of you're now talking almost like a synesthet and uh, you you're losing me okay yeah. <laughs> if, I'm, if i'm if i'm losing you then i'm just i've lost you and, we're done. Uh, and we can just we can hop back yeah um, but yeah so, so these were these were ideas in my mind that i was like okay and then i was sitting down to class and i'm like what are they talking about like what is what are yeah. these things like it, it felt so arbitrary to me and huh. and not to be um related that much to the type of music that i was used to listening to and hearing um, yeah. And especially if you begin where they begin at, like, you know, most music schools, uh, the type of harmony they teach is not related to 90% of what you're going to hear, either on the radio or even in classical music. Yeah. Um, because it's very early, it's rudimentary, and it, and it almost um, is irrelevant uh, mm. in, in terms of what is taught today. Mm. Or, or, or is practiced today. Mm. So when it comes to these things, like, there are already multiple things here. One is the perfect pitch. The second is you said that there were certain melodies that you just liked when you were younger and other ones that got this visceral negative reaction. Mm-hmm. And the third that we're talking about now is this your own unique conception of um, really the theory of music or how music works. And so far, 
in this conversation, it feels like you had somewhat of a unique vantage point when it comes to all three of these. Uh, maybe not the only person, but certainly a minority. And so my question is this. Um, if it is just a variant on, if it's just a different allele, so to speak, of um, the perception appreciation of uh, music, and let's say there's a, a majority um, way of um, perceiving all three of these aspects, and there's a minority way, which was yours, um, and there may be multiple such variants, uh, then that would be a different thing because, I mean, if they're all just subject, subjectively equivalent as far as the listener is concerned and it just depends on uh, how it is that you listen to a certain thing, then that would be one thing. But but it's, 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 it, it seems like not only did you perceive these different dimensions of music differently, but that somehow it was better or more in the sense that using the using this perspective you could create music that not only would it sound good to you it translates it sounds good to other people as well so in a certain sense these uh, sensitivities that you have appear to me uh, to be a superset of or to be encompassing but uh, having certain some extra features in there i would make Okay, that's yeah. interesting. I well, because yeah, uh, so this is this this would this would this harkens back to an early gripe I had about yeah. about forming. I mean, theory. I mean, just to just to really simplify it, all I'm saying is, is this just a weirdness or is this a superpower? Um, I would say it's it's a weirdness that, yeah, um, stems from I think a way I do things that I had the luxury of doing them that way, being homeschooled, and so I I, I maybe took it a little much farther than someone else. Yeah. Um, who would have the same alleles as me might, yeah. um, which is which is a very like um, process oriented generative style of of play and creation. To give you an example, um, playing Legos. Yeah. Um, growing up, I could play with Legos for hours, and 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 what what I would do is I would I wouldn't even finish a thing, yeah. because halfway through I would no longer like what I was doing because I had another idea. And so so yeah. so to me, my, my my whole process of of playing with Legos was was this sort of cycle. This, 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 it was, it was, yeah, they had you were no like the, end. you were like, you know, in, in, in Hinduism, the, the different forms that create, uh, nourish and destroy are all the, um, are, are three different avatars of the same one God. You're like this. Like, I'll create and then I destroy and I'll create again. And my, my all mom, that remains is a cycle, but nothing goes anywhere. Well, and so yeah. my mom, my mom was always like, she would always try and like snag a picture of whatever I had just made before I would break it, and I would always like, like it, yeah. nothing. Even if I was really happy with it, and I felt like I'd like arrived. I remember one time I like yeah. tried to make like a, a Lego Balrog from the, the a what Balrog? It's like one of the it's one of the beasts from Lord of the Rings. Sorry, okay. I'm, I'm I'm dating. I'm nerding myself. Yeah, I'm nerding myself. Yeah. Um, and I was really excited with that. I kept it for maybe an hour um, yeah. because then I needed the parts for something else. You know, I was like, yeah. um, and similar, similar with actually writing music is, is most of what I wrote um, was honestly just transcriptions of improvisations because um, I really, really, really hated practicing. And so yeah. instead I would just make up my own stuff. Yeah. Um, my mom would sometimes sneak, 
into the room and put a like we had a cassette tape recorder yeah and she would just like play that and then and then i would get i would get furious because because to me this was like me time and i was like yeah it's a very intimate thing yeah um, where i like was deliberately sounding not deliberately sounding bad but like um um reprioritizing sounding good yeah underneath yourself the license to fuck up just explore and yeah yeah um but yeah so like yeah the first the first piece i actually finished was um and got performed not by me was mm. uh in that gap year uh yeah. sorry when i was like 15 years old yeah. um and a large chunk of that piece is just is verbatim transcription of a of a improvisation yeah um, so you wrote this down and who performed it um so that at that time um my my current violin teacher performed it on one of her assignments mm. okay so that was really cool and w- w- where was this performance uh, it was at texas tech texas tech yeah like so in front of students uh yeah in front of students faculty i mean it was her faculty recital they're, they're required to give one sort yeah. of it's like a it's the way like normal professors are required to put out research papers yeah they have to i see papers. okay and so you were the first author of this research paper basically yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I basically got to sneak in as like also yeah yeah how how did it uh feel when she was were you there yeah yeah i was there yeah. um it was yeah it was so much better than performing because like it's like oh man like no comparison because first of all it's it's like your shit like like <laughs> yeah like you're actually like people are hearing something that you have to say and there's yeah. not the stress of performing i was just like sitting there and like someone way better musician than i was was on on stage playing us so, like yeah. you know we're in good hands yeah. i'm just gonna chill out yeah. um it was also really fun to uh go through the process of showing someone the music yeah. um not just in terms of uh oh do you like it but but yeah. getting a sense for how notation affects the way a musician yeah. would respond to it and how how you're using a language between languages right when you're writing down the music because yeah. um, you're trying to point at the thing in your head and, and that was another another big beef i had with how um classical music is scored is, is i was like there's there is nothing to write down what's in my head like i would i would have a rhythm in my mind yeah. that was not strictly eighth notes not strictly quarter notes but but somewhere in between had some you know oh that's um, odd no, i mean like it's like swung rhythm in jazz like so many mm. rhythms in jazz are um they're like repeatable and and, and like they're they're not they're not random but they're yeah. very difficult to notate they're they, they have like a quote-unquote groove to it right yeah um so in my mind there were these things that like it was it was a rhythm that to me felt normal natural and, and distinct and yeah. i was like i would i'd be looking at the page and it's like i had <laughs> i had the two versions and i would i would play them back on the awful finale midi file and i'm like this neither of these are what i'm looking for and yeah. i have no idea yeah how to write that yeah i see mm. that's interesting yeah well i'm totally not a problem with like um producing music now that's that's something, something yeah. i really enjoy so. you know what so uh, we started this conversation talking about perfect pitch and at that time i was thinking it's just one little quirky thing that you have that's different from the uh the wild type allele um to use genetic terminology but it seems like it's it's something it's something more fundamental that may be the hub of a wheel and uh so some switch maybe not like a cluster of genetic switches that are just set to different values for you and so that in downstream produces a bunch of different effects it's possible um, yeah i mean uh it's it's difficult to say how much um I mean that's that's a that's a larger debate, right? Of, yeah. of 
how much uh, is nature versus nurture, and and I mean I I'm I'm comfortable yeah. saying that I I think a lot of because so many so many things did show up early, just mm-hmm. too early for them to be the result of like a specific type of like lifestyle or, yeah. or a specific like regimen. Yeah. It, it just that that would be a, a less plausible hypothesis then it's just the fact that there's yeah. some, some differences yeah no i'm not so much talking about nature versus nurture in that sense i'm not really uh talking so much about whether this is genetic or um due to upbringing of some sort i'm more interested in noting i guess the fact that it's not just a bunch of distinct isolated things that all have to do with sound and their perception mm-hmm. it's probably rational to think that it comes down to some one or a couple of root causes that are set to different uh, values, which have downstream effects that Manifest. are all very distinct that you could uh, note different. Like, oh, hey, number one, there's this perfect pitch. Number two, there's this, you know, this this way of uh, thinking of music that is hard to write down. Um, number three, I have this uh, particular selection bias for certain kinds of melodies. By the way, coming to which, do you still have this bias like when you listen to music those pieces of music do you still feel like oh shit that i don't like that that's um so no no it, it's evolved a lot i think mm-hmm. when i started to get more serious about music i i changed the way i listened in that yeah. i deliberately went out of my way to begin and try and force myself to understand music i didn't like and mm-hmm. understand why i didn't like it so this for some reason followed a pretty linear progression through the history of classical music i started out really loving baroque music like 1650 to 1750 couldn't get enough of all the i thought the volume was just like yeah the jam mm-hmm. um and then i got more into like classical music like early beethoven Mendelssohn, uh, mozart yeah um i guess those are almost borderline romantic but then i got into like really romantic music um and this 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 happened just with like a um an odd sequentiality in terms of my mm-hmm. progression following the progression of classical music yeah until um like by my senior year in high school i was playing um Bartok's second violin concerto for my college auditions. And this this piece is like, uh, it was written in like 36, 1936 um, by a composer, Bella Bartok, who was Hungarian um, and had just like one of the uh, most, I think, diverse, rich. It, it's so weird because the thing, I, I, I love Bartok. I, I geek out on him. I put him. I put him up there with like Beethoven and Bach in terms of his mastery of the craft. Because I feel like what he was able to do is he took um, all of the vocabularies in, in music, right, in Western classical music up into that time, mm. whether that's like um, French Impressionism or like sort of like more normal Wagnerianism, but also like stuff that like Stravinsky was doing and, and a bit of atonality that Schoenberg, this guy, was doing. Yeah. He took all of that yeah. and used that just as a language to say something. Um, and at the time, I was so caught up on the language I was yeah. hearing some bits of of Schoenberg, and I'm like, God, who's this Bartok guy? It's so harsh. It's so like, yeah. Ugh. and 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 it took a while for me until I and actually basically, I didn't ever really love a composer until I played something that mm. they wrote because that forces you to become so intimate with it yeah. that you 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 lose that sense of sort of like your appreciation of it's different. It's it's qualitatively different because you're not appreciating it as a listener. You're appreciating it as a player. Yeah, um, and and then there are all these extra considerations that come into play. The way the way one I would imagine like would 
admire a sports car differently if you were a professional race car driver. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, True, yeah. Or if you uh, ever drove one, which a single <laughs> tear falls down my cheek. <laughs> 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 I mean, I really like cars, man. <laughs> I don't own one. And, uh, yeah. Well, Austin went through a gas crisis, but okay, big segue. Let's forget that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I had another question about the music thing, but I can't remember. So um, we can put another one. You said so you said you taught yourself music theory, and we heard about that and orchestration. Mm-hmm. Was there something else that you wanted to talk about the orchestration part? Um, just that that was really interesting because there there are like um, pretty well known books uh, uh, treatises treaties on orchestration. So I just yeah. bought some of those, read them. Yeah, you you buy some scores. You just basically do what the other. So people orchestration are doing. is like uh, d- deciding who plays what in right. an orchestra right. from something that you've composed. Yeah, and, and so yeah. The, and this is what was really interesting is is when I started writing for orchestra, I was doing it for my concerto and I was, I also decided to start writing for orchestra. And so I was not one of those people who would go from a smaller arrangement to orchestration. I went straight to orchestration. And yeah. I think this is partly because, um, this goes back to the difference I think between like pianist and non-pianist composers. Pianists mm. have basically the whole harmonic palette, um, at their disposal when they play, they, they, you know, a, a piano solo sounds rich. It sounds full. Yeah. Um, because it has your melody, it has your harmony, it has a bass line, it has mm. the whole vocal range and then yeah. more. Whereas the violins, that's the lowest, that's as low as you go. You're never yeah. going to get that bass. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for them, they can they conceive of music in this scope and yeah. then and then taking taking whatever it is written on the piano to them is sort of like, it's like giving it texture, right? To something yeah. that already has um, uh, bones. Yeah. But but to me it was it was it was different because I, I didn't I didn't have that body of knowledge of what it felt like to play a fully fledged piece of music. So mm. I was I was never thinking in terms of like this is something I, I, I always like mm. irked me uh, when I noticed it in certain composers' styles is that it looked like it literally just looked like they had taken the left hand part and given it to the cellos. And I was like, the left hand of a piano does not work the same way a cellist works on the fingerboard. Um, and so that became something that I was I was really um, attuned to was was what they call idiomatic or non-idiomatic writing. Basically, does it feel good? Does it fall? Does it make sense on the instrument? So which one's better, idiomatic or non-idiomatic? Always idiomatic. Okay. Oh, absolutely. I, I just don't know the definition. So, yeah. 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 Well, to me, um, idiomatic yeah. just means it, it has an ease of play. It's like feels native. Um, yeah. It's okay. like it's like the difference between. I guess like, I can see where that uh, usage of the, that name idiomatic. Yeah. Comes. It's just intuitive. Yeah. Have, yeah. Um, and so, yeah. So, so to me, it was, it was like, um, and I would just see this all the time in, in certain composers' works is that it was like I was missing a finger because pianists have five fingers mm-hmm. on each hand and, you know, the violinist doesn't use their thumb. Yeah. And, and there would always just be like one extra note somewhere um, in the middle of the melody that, that makes it really awkward on yeah. the violin that it just wouldn't even be an issue because in, they were probably sitting at a piano and they were yeah. And, and to me, that, that kind of lack of consideration for what ultimately does affect the, the quality of the performance because mm-hmm. um, an orchestra is an instrument like any other, right? It's like, you know, if, you, if you're going to 
play the piano with your fists, it's not going to go well. Yeah. Um, and same same way if you if you expect a a you know like a bassoon to to achieve the same sort of well maybe a good bassoon is good well this is the thing like all musicians have to deal with the fact that most music comes out of a pianist's head um and so so that's where technique goes um is is towards i think i I would argue towards those things that are actually quite easy on the piano whether it's playing scales arpeggios this that um and trying to to emulate with with some high fidelity something similar on their own instrument Mm -hmm. um but to me there was like there was an unexplored area of like what feels good on a violin or what feels good on a cello what feels good on a horn Mm. or this or that um that to me was really interesting because understanding like how how a person is gonna feel physically feel and and how their brain is gonna feel in trying to to make this music changes their relationship to it and that changes what comes out Mm. um so it just felt under underexplored to me it was it was it was like they, they were stuck in the middle language because the modern notation is great for piano yeah. because it has it has um, discrete keys, discrete pedals, and, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and all of that works works yeah, really well. Yeah. yeah, it's like pianists have uh, hijacked uh, like music theory orchestration. I mean, I would argue that, <laughs> yeah. but that's just because I'm a butthurt violinist who yeah. I've always wanted to be a pianist. Okay. Do you know the thing that went off on my phone? What was that? It was my... <laughs> I want to ration 10 minutes of Facebook time <laughs> to myself every day and not be on Facebook the rest of the time. Oh, nice. So, but I don't know if it's going to work. So that's my alarm. In about five minutes, another one is going to go off. It says, okay. Oh, this is your time. This yeah, is... but I'm not going to be on Facebook. now. Yeah. I'm just saying that's what the alarm was for. <laughs> this is daily allotted. Um, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, um, this is my Facebook time. So yeah, you and your music can fuck off while I scroll through people's pictures that I hate. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for visiting us in the Room of Lives. In the next episode, Benam shares his experiences and thoughts on shame, vulnerability, and creative flow.
Yeah.